single listeners, do you ever dream of what your wedding day will be like? We imagine every single little detail, and sometimes the only thing missing is the smallest of details, the person we're going to marry. Then those are there are those of us who are married, and maybe you look back on that day as one of the best days of your life, or maybe even the worst decision you've ever made. Let's be honest here. We've all heard of the phrase, the honeymoon phase, right? Can you imagine if what was supposed to be one of the best moments of your entire life was actually when the countdown to your death started? I think that gives new meaning to the term, the honeymoon's over. On July 7th, 2013, Cody Lee Johnson went for a hike with Jordan Lynn Graham, his wife of eight days. They went to Glacier National Park together, though she left alone. And if the idea of killing your husband of only eight days doesn't seem shocking enough, the rest of this story only gets better then. Or worse. More shocking, to say the least. This message is for you, mamas, women who have been letting everyone else's dreams come ahead of their own, and anyone who feels like they're struggling to put themselves as a first priority. Your dreams matter now just as much as they did before life started happening. And so many of us forget that we once had dreams and desires that we wanted to see fulfilled and pushed it all to the back burner using things like logic and other good reasons as to why we shouldn't do them now. Well, if you're ready to start committing to your dreams, then I would ask you to visit my website, katherineannintuitive.com and schedule a discovery call. If you're ready to really commit then I have 12 weeks for you to do that, working with me one-on-one to really explore your life and get back to living it in the way that you so desire to. Cody moved to Montana from San Jose, California in 2002. And he and Jordan met at a church lunch and hit it off right away. She was 22 and he was 25 when they said their vows just about two years later. And according to Cody's best friend, Jeremiah, Cody was someone who lived to make others happy. He was very social, loved shooting his guns, and really loved cars as well, driving them and working on them. Droiden, on the other hand, was described as very shy, reserved, and pretty quiet. She was extremely committed to her Christian faith, and therefore she didn't believe in sex before marriage. So yes, she and Cody abstained. Even more shocking, It's said that they didn't have sex the night of their marriage, nor had they by the time Cody disappeared, eight days after their wedding. A friend and groomsman of Cody's, Cameron, is quoted by the Missoula newspaper saying, Their interaction with each other, it didn't seem like a happy, loving relationship that you would normally see. It was just very awkward. She was very distant and reserved. While others spoke of how they were never even holding hands or touching each other at all, and didn't really seem that happy. The marriage was protested by more than one of Cody's friends, and even her maid of honor spoke about how she believed that Jordan didn't really want to be married, but really wanted to have a wedding. I think it's safe to say that there's a huge difference between being a wife and being a bride, and I have to think too that to finally give yourself physically to someone, and spiritually really, after being so against it, so kind of like taught that sex isn't okay and it's not good and it's something that Not that I'm saying it's not sacred or whatever. I'm just seeing in that faith and when you're that devout, I feel like sex is almost demonized to some level. So it has to be very overwhelming, or at least I I feel that it was for her, the idea of actually having sex with someone 
I think it was really stressing her out beyond what would be like a normal level of anxiety of someone having like their first time, which I mean, for me, I know I was terrified, but like whatever. So anyway, I digress. Her maid of honor, Kimberly, shares in an interview with Crime Watch that the actual idea of the wedding itself would frustrate her and irritate her to talk about, but that she really enjoyed planning it. It sounds to me like Jordan was enjoying playing house, but wasn't ready to have the real life experience that she was actually signing up for. Even watching the footage of their wedding, and I'll post in the show notes, of course, but even watching that footage, she clearly avoids looking at Cody during the ceremony. She looks at the minister, at the ground, up at the sky, and her maid of honor even brings up how Jordan was bawling her eyes out while she walked down the aisle to Cody and while she stood there during the ceremony. Oof, I mean, there's one thing to tear up a little. It's another thing to completely be losing your mind that you're getting married. Like, girlfriend, turn around and run. You don't have to kill somebody. The next day after the wedding, Jordan texted Kimberly telling her that she thought she made the wrong decision and basically that she shouldn't be married. She says that so much happened after the wedding and that she'd rather talk about it in person. And when pressed for more, Jordan reiterates she'd really rather just talk about it in person. But when they see each other next, Jordan just lays on the couch crying. I truly think this is intuitively I feel that she's freaking out over having sex with him. I think it was beyond comprehension to like a normal mind what she was going through. A healthy mind, I should say, not normal. I believe she was scared of that commitment and of what it would be like. And I truly feel that her mental health didn't have her in a place where she could logically sort through that. So eight days after the wedding, Cody doesn't show up for work. And I almost get the feeling that she had sort of like an immature thought process. To me, she's not seeing her marriage and her decision through the eyes of an adult, but rather a child who's afraid of what she's done and the consequences, the consequences being having sex with her husband. I can't speak to what her religious upbringing really was like, but I almost wonder, like I said before, if sex was something that was like demonized in her home or in her church. I think that having to have intercourse was what was driving her into an emotional tailspin and pushing her over the edge, so to speak. That was a really bad joke to make, I guess. It wasn't a joke, but anyway, I really do believe that her mental state, her mental maturity just wasn't at a point where she could process what was actually happening. And I think she was terrified to give that part of herself up. So when police interview Jordan, she tells them that she got a message saying he was leaving with some friends, Cody was leaving with friends, and when she returned home, she saw a black car pulling out of the driveway and heading down the road, though she didn't know who the friends were. And I can't imagine my husband going out with anyone that, number one, I didn't already know or have met, or at least I wouldn't have a name for. I mean, what if something happened? Or even, not even if something happened, it's just good to know who your partner's with. I mean, I feel like that's just kind of how it is. But anyway, the sentence that had chills running down my spine during this interview was her saying, and quote, he always told me this one thing is when his friends came to visit, he would take them to Glacier Park. Her stories were starting to conflict each other. No one's heard from Cody. No one knows where he is. And she would tell police that they weren't arguing, but then had told her friend Kimberly earlier that day that they had had an argument the night before, but then later that day that they hadn't had an argument. So she really couldn't keep anything straight. And she wouldn't help her friends, Cody's friends or family, find clues as to where Cody was. So people came over when they couldn't find him, when work called and said, hey, Cody Johnson's not at work. What the hell is going on? 
People rushed over. They're trying to find him. They're trying to understand what could have happened, looking for clues as to where he went. And Jordan's not helping. She's like walking around the house, like texting and goofing around and not seeming concerned at all. So according to Crime Watch, Jordan even threw her wedding ring out of frustration when everyone was in her home searching for him. Friends and family were both pretty suspicious. I can't even begin to imagine this girl, literally girl, I feel like she's not an adult, is throwing her wedding ring out of the frustration of people being there, not out of like the frustration of missing him and throwing her wedding ring. Oh my God, when my husband's deployed, I wear his wedding ring. I mean, that's just crazy to me. So according to Crime Watch, she throws her wedding ring out of frustration and everyone's kind of side-eyeing her like, what the hell is going on? Even friends of hers are asking her, hey, seriously, what's up? This is, you're acting strangely. So magically, a few days later, Jordan produces an email from someone named Tony who no one's ever met or heard of, but was claiming to have been with Cody when Cody fell to his death in Glacier Park. And the email told them basically to stop looking for Cody's body. What? That seems totally reasonable. Obviously, the search was called off. End of story. Please hear the sarcasm oozing in my voice. Jordan. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. Now the police, as well as friends of Jordan's, have made it abundantly clear that they're suspicious of her and that her behavior is totally abnormal. She now decides to go out on a search with some friends and begin organizing search efforts and whatnot, and they go up to Glacier Park. So her behavior is not only suspicious now, but infuriating, as she is described as dancing, singing, and driving Cody's car like nothing at all is wrong. She even showed up to work one of the days, eating ice cream and dancing through the parking lot. Like, what? So watch the interview, the, watch the Crime Watch interview, because Kimberly describes Jordan as a guided missile on the second day, knowing exactly the place that she was looking for. So day one, they meander around, they look for him. But day two, she shows up and is making a beeline for a specific space, passing by numerous roads and paths that they could have been looking for Cody and intent on getting to an area called The Loop. So she proceeds to hop the safety wall in this area and climbs down a bit to the top of a ravine and points Cody out immediately 300 feet below them. She just magically, boom, there he is. Mind-blowing. So one thing they didn't mention was that at their wedding, they danced to a song that Jordan had recorded herself, singing about no matter how high you climb, when you fall, you're still mine. Well, if that's not ominous enough... She told detectives that she knew Cody was there in that spot for two reasons. One, the Holy Spirit led her there. Not ominous, just weird. And two, Cody had wanted to see that spot before he died. That's the ominous part. Stop it right now. Come on. The detective describes Cody's body as being in a place so remote it was doubtful humans had ever even been down there. You couldn't see that from the path. Like She literally hopped this barrier and climbed down these rocks and pointed to where he was, 300 feet above. Police say that it would have appeared that Cody fell head first on his way down. So now he's no longer missing. He has been found. There's speculation that he could have been blindfolded prior to her pushing him off, which obviously she totally pushed him off if you haven't already figured that out. So when Jordan attends the funeral, she's texting on her phone Dancing around. Yes, she's at the funeral. She's not arrested yet. She's seen texting on her phone, dancing around, acting not only without remorse, but with flat out disrespect toward Cody and his friends and family. Like, I don't even care if you know this person and who, whose funeral they are. Like, 
whatever I'm trying to say, you shouldn't be dancing and singing and acting like a total fucking knob while you're at a funeral, regardless of who it is. So not only did police already have the fake email from Tony tied to a computer at her stepfather's house, but they also had, get this, surveillance footage of her entering the park with Cody the day that he disappeared, though she said she wasn't with him and her cell phone had been pinging off towers in the area. The day Cody went missing, Jordan had texted Kim saying, if you don't hear from me, something definitely happened. And I feel like there's a few layers to this. I believe she thought Cody was a monster, but not in a justifiable way. Cody wanted to be physical with his new wife, which is completely reasonable, but she saw this as a threat because of how strongly she was holding on to her religious faith and in the thing. And I know there are Christians who love sex. I'm not saying that. And I don't even know what I'm saying right now, but what I'm saying is that she saw his desire to be physical with her as a threat. Okay. She knew she was going to kill him that day, but wasn't positive that she would come out of it unscathed as her plan could have resulted in her falling or tumbling down the side of a cliff as well. I guess that's the price you pay to not have sex with your husband. That came out wrong. But anyway, she claims that she was arguing with him at the park and that they were arguing before they went to the park. I can't imagine why. And they still hadn't consummated their marriage after waiting two years with her to do so. And his new wife was completely miserable. So she tells police that Cody said he could walk that park with a blindfold on. Meanwhile, a black rag was found near his body that could have been a blindfold. So what do I think? I feel that she was trying to come off as if she were taking him to a really cool location and surprising him with whatever surprise she had promised him earlier that according to his friends, he was really excited for and finally a little bit happy about what was to come, but that truly she was blindfolding him to get him to the perfect spot. And when she told him to just wait a second so she could position him just right for the surprise, she shoved him as hard as he as she could. Obviously, she wasn't lying. She was definitely surprising him, but not in the way that he had thought. He had no idea how close to that wall he was, and because he couldn't see around him, he couldn't get his bearings, and down the side he went. I see his hand instinctively coming up as if he's pulling that rag off of his eyes, because I do think it was used as a blindfold. And before he started tumbling down the side or mid-tumble, he's like ripping it off. And I can see her standing up there watching for a good few minutes, too, like really feeling as if she made things right. Like the world felt right to her now. She didn't have to give herself to this man. She could still continue to give herself only to God. She honestly only had any emotion for herself and her woe is me attitude toward the predicament she thought she had gotten herself into. I also feel that every time she spoke of how awful Cody was to her during arguments or pinning her down, she was grossly exaggerating all of it. I can see them arguing and him, and it's not even like a blowout argument. It's just like exchanging words over things. I see him grabbing her wrist, but not in a threatening way, more of like trying to like grasp her to get her to stay in the room and talk about things and try to understand why she was so scared and why she was so stressed out about this whole ordeal. It wasn't a forceful, like, stay here and talk to me kind of way. Obviously, whoever could do something like this and have no reaction isn't of sound mind, but I truly believe she was suffering from some sort of mental illness. And I think that her, quote, Christian roots were beyond just what she was taught at church and that she was made to believe that sex was bad and or painful or whatever else she was told. She was deeply afraid of having sex with Cody. 
One detective says that it was speculated that Cody thought he was going to receive some sort of sexual surprise up in Glacier Park, but I don't think that she had led him to believe that she was going to have sex with him up there. He may have desperately interpreted it as that, but I really don't believe she led him on to think that she was going to like put out at the top of the mountain or anything. Jordan ultimately fooled him, though, and guided him straight to his death. And I feel that in her mind, which sounds to me like she was experiencing some sort of failing mental health, and I don't want to speculate any sort of diagnosis here, but even she even says in one of her police interviews that she had never felt such powerful emotions before. In her mind, she had no other choice. I'm not saying that's accurate or right by her at all. Obviously, she had a lot of choices, but she ultimately made the worst of the wrong ones. In my initial dive into the energy of this case, I did write down bipolar with a question mark next to it. Her highs were super high, like skipping around the park at the parking lot at work and having an ice cream cone after you, your new husband can't be found. And her lows were really low, like crying endlessly on the couch because you just can't put to words why you are so immensely miserable when you should be flying so high. She even says she just wasn't on cloud nine and she felt like she should have been. So how did she get him up there? I feel that she got him up there under the guise that she was making amends with him, making it up to him for how the last week had gone and apologizing for being so, quote, difficult, that she was ready to show up as his wife and be there for him in all of the ways she should be. I feel she knew this was one of his favorite places and that this was her way of kicking off her turning over a new leaf. Like, let's go do something you want to do, Cody. I am recommitting to you. We're going to make this right. We're going to make this work. And I feel that she 100% manipulated him and got him right to where she needed him to be without a doubt in my mind. So in December of 2013, Jordan pled guilty to second degree murder and is sentenced to 30 years in prison. I do feel that I connected with Cody and I feel that at this point I felt he knew she was crazy, but he was still going to try to make it work. He figured she would come around and that's what she thought. That's what he thought she was doing in planning that hike for them. And interestingly, before my research, when I connected with him, Cody gave me the impression that he knew he put more into the relationship, but then it made him happy to take care of her and that she needed that from him. She was working through some stuff, but he loved her. Hindsight, he didn't really notice just how aloof and disconnected she was. He had attributed to all of the stress of planning a wedding because realistically, she was planning a wedding for like more than half their relationship or just about half of it. So it's not as if he had a long time to go on off of before that to compare her behavior to. So my single friends, if you don't feel like you should get married to the person you're marrying, it's never too late to call it off. Also, Never go hiking in a remote area with a significant other who is pissed at you. Just saying. Doesn't feel smart to me. Not a good cool off location. Let's go for a walk through the neighborhood or, I don't know, go out to eat in public or something where nothing crazy like that can happen. Anyway, lovers, thank you for listening again. And if you feel so called to do so, please leave a review and give a follow or subscribe to get this podcast into the ears of more true crime fans around the world. Stay safe and don't turn your back on your hiking partner. If you feel so called to, click the Crime Watch interview in the show notes and watch it because it's just about, I think, 23 minutes and boy, is it well put together. The interviews with Jordan and them are just phenomenal and you really get a feel for just how off her rocker she was. And I really do believe that she had some sort of mental illness or some sort of like breakdown, but she really, her eyes give me the energy of someone who just wasn't right. 
she has the eyes of someone who would probably kill again if she were given the chance to, if she felt backed into a corner enough to. All right. I know I already signed off. So you guys enjoy the rest of your day, evening, morning, wherever you are at whatever time it is. And thanks for listening to Murder and Mediumship.